the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Welcome to our first postseason podcast. I am joined for this episode by Neil Langland, and we're going to do a deep dive into what promises to be another memorable offseason for the Colorado football program. First a note, we're going back to posting episodes every other week with our next episode covering signing day. The recruiting class of 2024 will be signing their letters of intent on Wednesday, December 20th, with our podcast taking a look at the class being posted that Friday. We open this podcast with a review of year one of the Coach Prime era. It's hard to believe the impact Deion Sanders has had on the athletic department, the city of Boulder, and upon college football. But it's worth taking a few moments to look back at what the Buff Nation has, compared to what might have been. Quick quiz. Which is the most unbelievable factoid from year one of the Coach Prime era? That CU sold out every home game for the first time in school history, not to mention the spring game. That CU, after a 1-11 season, was nationally ranked in September. Or that more viewers watched the Rocky Mountain Showdown between Colorado and Colorado State with a 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time kickoff then watch the primetime Pac-12 championship game between two top five programs in Oregon and Washington. After our short trip down memory lane, we turn our attention to the reshaping of the coaching staff and roster with a look ahead to how signing day might influence CU's one-loss record next fall. So, was the loss of offensive coordinator Sean Lewis with his most likely replacement being Pat Shermer a net loss or a net gain for the program? If Coach Prime brings in well-known names like Warren Sapp and Brian Leftwich, who have no collegiate coaching experience, will that help or hurt the development of the roster? And are there enough quality offensive and defensive line transfers out there who can be counted upon to turn CU's front lines into strengths instead of weaknesses? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back, and I'm joined by Neil. I'm glad that it's December so I can go skiing Langland. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Stu. Thank you. Gotten some nice uh, ski days the past couple weeks. Looking forward to more coming up, snow on the way. 
and get snow, get to talk about CU football. Going to be a great day. Okay. Well, it's our first postseason, offseason. I don't think there's really any such a thing as offseason for college football anymore, but our first postseason podcast. And I think we're going to start a little bit uh, in the world of what have you done for me lately. Um, we kind of forget where we were. And it was just about a year ago, just a little over a year ago as we record this, that CU found out that it's new, or CU fans found out that they were going to have a new head coach by the name of Deion Sanders, the Jackson State coach. Neil, looking back, what do you uh, remember about the first time you really thought that it was going to become a reality? It wasn't just a rumor that uh, we were going to have Coach Prime coming to Boulder. Well, there was a buildup for that, Stu. Uh, there was a 60 Minutes piece um, on Coach Sanders. There was a lot of press. I thought, no, he's not going to come here. Why would he do that? And he showed up, and it's been, <laughs> it's been quite a run. And I am delighted that we got him a year ago. It's been exciting watching the CU Buffs worked their way through their first offseason, through their first season, and I couldn't be happier having Coach Prime here. It's been wonderful in so many ways. If we compare where we were two years ago uh, in 91 in postseason, 92 postseason, to where we are today, it's night and day difference. Um, we have potential. We've got reasons to be excited. And I think Coach Prime has brought so much to the university, to the state, and especially to CU football. It's been great. Yeah, it's kind of hard to think now about what it would have been like. I mean, last November, it was, I mean, give credit to Rick George about maintaining radio silence. Um, we really had no idea about Dion until it really became the likely candidate. We're just waiting for him to finish up the season at Jackson State and playing their title game and everything. So last fall, I mean, we were talking about, you know, Ryan Walters, you know, the former CU safety that was a star defensive coordinator at Illinois. He ended up at Purdue. We were looking at Troy Taylor, who was the Sacramento State coach, and Buff fans were like, wow, we're to the point where we're going to hire a a Big Sky Conference coach. We can't even get a Mountain West school. We can't even get a Dan Hawkins. We're getting a Troy Taylor. But he went ahead and he got hired by Stanford. And then, of course, there was Bronco Mendenhall, who, you know, former BYU coach, former Virginia coach. And he missed the carousel last year. He just got hired to be the head coach at the University of New Mexico for 2024. So, Comparing to what might have been, pretty stark difference to uh, what we'd be looking at if we were looking at year two under Ryan Walters or Bronco Mendenhall, don't you think? Well, I think we'd be in hibernation, probably, like we have, have been for the past 20 years. Coach Sanders has done so much to raise the profile of the University of Colorado, especially football. It's brought in a whole new dimension to this, so... If it's a night and day difference, and it's probably a unique time during college football for, especially for CU, 
And we're going to look back on these times five years ago and look on it probably as some sort of golden era. Yeah, I hope so. I think we're, yeah, if we had a Bronken Mendenhall three and nine season, we'd be like, well, maybe he could get some good players. He's developing, he's building a culture. Yeah, just be more of the same. But uh, Coach Prime hit the ground running. I remember this first press conference. It was one of the very few times I've actually gone back and watched a press conference twice. It was so entertaining and exhilarating. And I remember Neil Wilkes' column, uh, of course, Neil being the senior contributing editor at CUBuffs.com, the longtime columnist at the Boulder Daily Camera. His uh, column after the press conference is Coach Prime has already won an O. He won the press conference. You know, pretty much dazzled even the media which doesn't tend to give CU a lot of good press in the Denver metro area. But, well, let me let me give you a little quiz here, Neil, if, or an option. I'll give you a multiple choice question. Out of uh, the following three things, which to you is the most amazing thing of Coach Prime in year one? Option number one, that Colorado sold out every home game for the first time in school history. And you can throw in the fact that they sold out a spring game. Option number two, that Coach Prime taking over one and 11 team got CU to a national ranking early in his tenure at the University of Colorado. Or option number three, that more people, more viewers tuned in to watch Colorado versus Colorado State and a 10.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff than watched a prime time Pac-12 championship game between two top five teams. Of course, that being Oregon and Washington a couple of weeks ago. So which of those three Coach Prime year one stats to you is the most impressive, amazing, unbelievable? Well, I'm going to invoke the Ruben Zubro unlimited multiple choice. I'm going to add <laughs> e and say all the above. Those are virtually indistinguishable. And I think unprecedented in the entire history of CU football. So I, I can't choose among them. And having one of those happen to CU football last year would have been a, a bonus. Having all of those things you mentioned, completely beyond anything that any of us expected. And I have to say, the first few weeks of the season were just the greatest ride we've had in a long, long time. It was so much fun. Yeah, I think we all looked at that first quarter of the TCU game, and my jaw was on the floor the whole time. And I had this feeling of like, oh, my God, we haven't had anything like this in CU in forever. Yeah. Well, and I fortunately, I, I stayed in the Denver, Boulder metro area between the CSU games and or Nebraska game and the CSU game. So I got to actually be enveloped in all that fun. And of course, ESPN game day and Fox big noon kickoff and everything that uh, went on with that. I think if I had to choose between the three, I'd say it'd probably be the national ranking because the prime effect, you know, drawing people, whether it's viewers or fans, you know, a lot of those were just to watch coach prime. I don't know why people would want to pay a hundred bucks for a ticket to watch coach prime limp up and down the sidelines. But, uh, you know, he certainly has that effect of drawing in people and making people watch games. The national ranking, I think, 
especially coming off a one and eleven season, that was truly unexpected, especially because I think we truly didn't expect CU to be TCU. And if you look back at that September schedule, playing three ranked teams, two of them on the road, including Oregon and USC at home, and then two rivalry games where there was no guarantee that CU was going to win those games. Thinking CU might be one and four, maybe two and three coming out of September was certainly not out of the question. So to have CU actually get a national ranking by beating TCU, and yes, there are going to be those that say, yeah, TCU, Nebraska, Colorado State all ended up with losing records. Well, if they'd beaten Colorado, TCU, Nebraska, and Colorado State would all be going bowling this year. So they're not not great teams, but certainly not bad teams. But yeah, beating TCU on the road, and yes, they didn't turn out to be the national champion runner-up that they were the year before, but still, Colorado had won exactly one game against a road ranked team in 20 years and that was against Arizona State in 2000 when there's no fans in the stands or 2020 excuse me when there are no fans in the stands I'm not sure if that counts as a, a win against a ranked team on the road so we had to go back to 2002 in UCLA to find a game where CU beat a, a ranked team on the road. My tickets are down in 120 about row 15 and it was jammed in there every game every seat and something that haven't seen in Folsom for a long time was a lot of first timers at Folsom Field. People coming in from all over the country. Yeah. Uh, a different batch every week. And I strike up conversations with people. And many of them said, you know, I had never been to Boulder. I've never been to a CU game. Didn't know much about CU. And I just wanted to see what this is all about. And I, I wouldn't have come if not for Coach Prime. So, you know, it really broadened the base of CU fans and really got us some uh, exposure that we would have never, ever, ever had without Coach Prime. Yeah, and the 28% rise in applications to the university, you know, the merchandise sales is hundreds, if not thousands of times greater than it was before. So, yeah, the Prime effect certainly was widespread. And yeah, to your point, we had a not elderly, but older, mature black couple that sat in front of us for the Arizona game that came up for Dallas just for that reason. They said, we wanted to see what this was all about. They weren't CU fans. They weren't Arizona fans. They were just, you know, interested in college football and they'd never been to Boulder and said, well, let's go see what this is all about. So hopefully that's going to carry over. Of course, CU ended up with the 4-8 and eight record, but once again, we have to take that into uh, a little bit of perspective, because if you look back in August when we did our predictions, uh, unfortunately, Brad's not here to take credit for the fact that he actually predicted that CU would be 4-8 and eight this year. The only two games he missed were the TCU games and the Stanford game, picking CU to lose TCU and defeat Stanford and both looking back both of those are reasonable picks I had CU at five and seven the same as Brad except for I had CU beating Arizona and looking back yes Arizona turned out to be the a ranked team but even that even with that CU was ahead the entire game didn't trail until the final gun 
And you had them at see you at five or six and six, beating Arizona. You're with me on Arizona, and then upsetting Utah, and that was a 23 to 17 game on the road. So even though CU didn't have the great season that might have been after a three and zero start, CU kind of settled in. And maybe if they hadn't beaten TCU and they'd beaten Stanford and ended up four and eight or five and seven or something like that, everybody'd be very excited about the future rather than saying, "Oh, this is a you know three and O team that lost eight of its last nine games." CU had a bit of an advantage beginning of the year because there was not a lot of tape that combined our offensive and defensive schemes with our players, so we had a bit of an advantage. But what I think escaped a lot of analysts, a lot of professionals and pundits on the national scene was just the hunger that CU had for success and just how good our skilled players were. We really didn't know about Shadur until we had watched him play and watched him throw a couple games. We had no idea what Travis Hunter was going to be like or what Xavier was going to be like. And watching those skill players was just a complete treat. And if not for them and coach prime effect again here, bringing exceptional players to see you, you probably would have not had a four and eight record even. It would have been worse. I think you have to be happy with what has happened so far. You know, the building from the outside is controversial but we never thought that that was going to be a one-year fix. And just as a thinking about what we may be talking about later is uh, what's going to happen in year two and the recruiting and all of that. But I think we have to be just very pleasantly surprised at just the pure athleticism of the team up to this point and how much that has improved. Yeah. So, yeah, the weaknesses and Coach Prime obviously has acknowledged it many times, you know, in terms of the lack of depth, lack of talent on both the offensive and defensive fronts. So before you can get into talking about the new roster, we have to figure out what the new coaching staff is going to look like. It was a bit strange that Sean Lewis, the former Kent State coach that came in as the offensive coordinator, we thought perhaps that he was being groomed that in a couple of years, if Coach Prime left and the program was successful, that Sean Lewis would just bump up and become the CU head coach. And yet mid-season or later on the season, he got demoted from play calling duties and now has left who uh, become the head coach at San Diego State. So is this a, a net loss? For Colorado losing Sean Lewis I mean there are a lot of fans that were not happy with his play calling and production on offense and not running the ball but once you lose him then everybody's lamenting the fact that he went somewhere else so what are your thoughts on Sean Lewis the presumed uh, heir apparent to being the head coach of the University of Colorado being demoted and then leaving for another job I was one of those that was quite optimistic about the offense would be reformed and reconstituted under Coach Lewis. It's one of those black box things, uh, Stu, that 
we don't really know who is responsible for the final game plan and, and call sheet and all of that. So we don't really know how much of it was Coach Prime or how much was Lewis and how much freedom he actually had. I thought that he used the talent available to him probably in the best way. I would have liked to see, see you run the ball more, but the fact, in my opinion, is that we just didn't have the ponies up front to have a running game. We had bits and pieces here and there, but there was no running game to be had in, in all honesty there. And so I thought he did a good job. I, I wonder why the drama of dismissing someone mid-season. Uh, that seems like a rather drastic thing. And I just wonder what was going on behind the scenes. Relieving someone mid-season is really a condemning act. And I think the law is something that is um, beneath the surface that's pretty serious. And I'm concerned more about that than I am about the particular people that maybe calling plays next year or how or losing coach Lewis. I just wonder if we have some basic um, ambiguity, some basic indecision about what CU's offense is supposed to look like and what it might look like if we have Shermer calling the plays next year or Byron Leftwich, for example. So it's, it's sad to see that, but apparently it had to happen. Yeah, I, I share your concern. I, I think if, Sean Lewis had called the plays the entire season and then left for San Diego State. You might be like, well, maybe it's for the best for everybody. But, yeah, because at Kent State, he ran the ball. It wasn't uh, an air raid kind of offense. It was, you know, heavy on the run, or at least certainly a lot more than CU ran this year. So, yeah, it was probably more personnel than philosophy. And Coach Prime, you know, said, well, this is what you bring coaches in. You know, you want them to get promoted. You, you're happy for them to move on. So he put a good spin on it. But, yeah, I think some of the underlying concerns about Coach Prime not being a Power 5 coach before, not having put a coaching staff at this level together before, and needing more 20-year veterans of calling plays or 20-year veterans of coaching offensive lines you know, that type of thing, you know, kind of gives rise to the idea that maybe that is a legitimate concern. So, yeah, uh, we're going to be without Sean Lewis, uh, Bill O'Boyle, his offensive line coach at Kent State, came over to be the offensive line coach at Colorado. Now it's going to be the offensive line coach at San Diego State, so that's not a big surprise. He went with them. What do you think about Darian Hagan, who uh, had been – demoted slash moved over to the role of ambassador. He was no longer a, an assistant coach after being an assistant coach at Colorado for decades. And now he's also left Colorado. He's going to be this running backs coach at San Diego State for Sean Lewis. Is that an eyebrow-raising one for you? Or is that uh, you know good for him that he wanted to be back in coaching and he's getting the opportunity to coach again? I'm happy for Coach Hagan that he gets to get back onto the field and do what he loves. And I think he's an excellent coach. He's done great work with our running backs in his many administrations here. So I thank him for everything he's done. I wish he was still here, but I understand that Coach Prime has his guy, who is also the assistant head coach, is the running backs coach. And, you know, he probably just feels comfortable with that. But I think it's a big, big loss for CU uh, in many ways. And I wish him the best 
at San Diego State. Yeah. Um, I just wish it hadn't happened that way. Right. Yeah. Um, I think he'll be a buff for life, but still, you'd like to have him in the Champion Center in some capacity or, you know, roaming the halls. The other loss that, you know, maybe a lot of buff fans really don't know the name as well, but still probably an important loss was uh, Nick Williams, the defensive line coach. You could say, well, the defensive line coach didn't do a great job because the defensive line wasn't great, but Nick Williams was responsible for a lot of CU's recruiting. So he left, uh, took off for Syracuse. Are we worried about losing uh, Nick Williams as a recruiter, if not necessarily as a defensive line coach? Well, I don't have great depth in which recruits that we can assign responsibility uh, for Coach Williams. So I, I, I don't really know, but if he's reputed to be a great recruiter, that's a big loss. And I think our outside guys played okay, given our limitations. Uh, we didn't get the pressure that we hoped we would, but it's unclear whether that was talent or coaching. And it seems like just a lateral move for him in some ways. Those lateral moves generally are not a good thing. You want coaches to leave for better jobs, but we need all the recruiters we can get. Coach Prime's a good closer, but we need guys to do the everyday pick and shovel work on recruiting, and I think it's a loss. Okay. Well, let's talk about the the gains, um, the new coaches that have been brought in. Well, I guess we'll back up a little bit and say it's not a, a new coach, but we're still kind of in the dark or at least in the gray about the offensive coordinator position. Coach Primus had quoted it saying Pat Shermer is most likely to be the offensive coordinator for 2024. I'll let you comment. You're the Bronco fan between the two of us, and some of the CU slash Bronco fans um, have a lot of reservations about Pat Shermer and his stint that he had when he was with the Broncos. Continuity good. Continuity of a team that was last in the nation in rushing, not so good. Uh, what do you think of the news that it's most likely that Pat Shermer is going to be the offensive coordinator? Or do you think that there's wiggle room for Coach Prime to bring in somebody else? I interpret that to mean that Coach Prime may have a candidate in mind that he wants to check out before he designates Shermer for next year. I think they're probably still evaluating Shermer's philosophy and the changes that he made in the games in which he called plays. Uh, I'll say something positive about him, and this is not because he did some of the things I was asking for on offense, which was to try different formations and personnel, try to improve pass protection by bringing in extra blockers, trying some different things other than the read option, that is some gaps and traps, and sweeps and so on. So I think he tried to diversify the offense. The, th the overhang there, especially here in Denver, is that boy, he just didn't do that well here as the OC, uh, as an NFL OC. And maybe we could do better with someone that's a little more up to date with the college game. So I would be happy if Coach Prime was looking for other people. And I mentioned Byron Leftwich before, great reputation, great college player. Seems to have a recruiting reputation. Uh, there may be other guys out there. So I'd like for him to continue searching before we default to Shermer. Okay. 
Well, you know, in the we're never going to be happy no matter what you do category, Coach Prime has brought in a couple of names or advanced a couple of names. Uh, Phil Lodeholt is coming in to coach offensive line. He was an analyst at Oklahoma and Mississippi. Really hasn't been a position coach. You say, well, what are we doing there? But then Vincent Dancy, who was an analyst that was promoted to outside linebackers, he was a head coach at Mississippi Valley State, so he does have coaching experience. And then there's the, okay, well, that's we don't know these guys. They obviously can't be very good. Then you talk about like Byron Leftwich, who is you know an NFL player. He was an offensive coordinator in the NFL for three years at uh, Tampa Bay, but he hasn't coached at the collegiate level. And I'll also talk about Warren Sapp has been mentioned as a potential coach or maybe at least an analyst, and he has no coaching experience at all. So which which are we less happy about? Some coaches that we don't know much about and therefore can't rave about them or coaches' names we know but don't have coaching experience at the collegiate level, which is which is better, which is worse. Well, I think Lodeholt is going to be a positive. He was he's a Coloradan. He escaped CU to play at Oklahoma, very highly sought after recruit, had a long, well, a medium NFL career. And I think he knows line play pretty well. So I'm happy with him. Isn't Dancy the Outside linebackers? Yeah. You know, someone with that coaching resume, and I, I think he can he can probably fit right in if he has the same philosophy as a defensive coordinator, which I assume is, is the case. Uh, so I think that's a net positive. Well, you know, Warren Sapp and Brian Leftwich are the, the alternatives, you know, the, the names we know but don't have collegiate coaching experience. So Warren Sapp, if you remember him when he played at Miami and then he put his long NFL career, he was a Tasmanian devil. He was the battery bunny. He just had a ton of energy. And as the under tackle in those Tampa Bay schemes, he was a beast. He knew how to rush the passer. He was a run stopper brings a lot of energy. I think he's going to be a great defensive line coach if they can get him. Um, I think that coaching experience, probably not going to be an issue for him because he's been in the game long enough that he can make that transition pretty easily. Um, Leftwich, I don't know enough about his schemes and how he's going to adapt from a, a pro OC to being in college, but I'm willing to give him a shot, honestly, over a known quantity like uh, Shermer, who it seems kind of mediocre, honestly. Yeah. Well, you talk about the hangover, you know, losing, not running the ball, having the same guy, you know, that's going to lead to a lot of negative press, if nothing else. But yeah, if you bring in a Byron Leftwich, if he's just calling plays and leaving the the administrator, because I think there's a lot to coaching other than game day. And that's where you lose something, I think, maybe with Warren Sapp and Brian Leftwich, that somebody's going to know how to run the drill. Somebody's got to know how to look at the film from practice. And, 
you know, that's a big part of the coaching world. It's not just recruiting. It's not just press conferences. It's not just motivational speeches. It's if you lose, if you check out this guy and you look at how he's looking and how he's set up, we know it's a run or a pass. You got to be prepared for that, you know, and coaching day to day, minute to minute. Um, maybe there's enough bodies in the in the room to take care of that so that Brian Leftwich can, you know, call a great game and Warren Sapp can motivate the defensive line to do great things. Hopefully it's a mix of the two. One thing is that that's about Sapp and about a coaching staff. Each coaching staff needs a coach that can really appeal to the, not just the mind, but the hearts of players and have that infect the entire team. And I'm hoping, crossing my fingers and suspecting that Warren Sapp could be that guy, a tone setter, because we really didn't seem to have that last year. And typically that comes from an offensive line coach or a defensive line coach or a linebackers coach. So maybe he's the guy to do that. And that may have been one of the roles that wasn't quite filled fully under the last staff. Right. Well, fingers crossed, touch the trust the process. Trust Coach Prime. Obviously, he's had success wherever he's gone. So, you know, he's four and three in his first year at Jackson State and then went double digits the next two years. So we'll we'll see what he comes up with. Uh, in terms of the roster, we're a couple of weeks out from signing day, and we're going to do a, an in-depth signing day podcast right after we get the class of 2024 in the books. But just overall, before we hit that, you know, the transfer portal is now everyone's concern going into the off season. And I even, you know, warned people, I said, brace yourself for what's going to happen on December 4th, because we're going to have to have a lot of players leaving. It just didn't, the math didn't work. If you have 85 on your roster and you only have a dozen or so seniors, well, and you have a class that's going to be 12, 15, 17 strong. Well, you can't bring in any transfers without losing transfers. So I was prepared to see some significant tweets and Instagram messages and all this sort of stuff about players that are leaving. But to date, uh, a full week into the transfer portal 24 era, only a half dozen or so buffs have left. What do you what do you make of that? Uh, a couple of things. And by the way, thank you for that transfer portal tracker that you publish every day. It's the first place I look before I go digging more deeply. Thank you for that. I think there's going to be a bit of a problem because many of the players brought in last year don't have a free transfer under their right. belt. So they're going to be sticking around. And I think a lot of the players left over from the roster were about down to less than a hand, you know, about a handful of those guys that could possibly leave now or after spring ball. So we can't afford a lot of misses when it comes to the transfer portal or the um, junior college and high school ranks. So it's going to be tough. I mean, we have to be very, very precise, very accurate in the people that, that we bring in. It's going to be hard to do. Yeah. Well, and the players that have lost, I mean, Anthony Hankerson running back was certainly a kind of a fan favorite, but there's plenty of talent in the running back room. 
Uh, Grant Page was a freshman wide receiver, kind of got lost in the mix. Makes sense for him to try and find a place where he can get some playing time because CU, again, has lots of wide receivers. Tight end, so Michael Harrison was a walk-on, so we don't even get credit for his scholarship there. And he was our leading one. tight end. Caleb Fourier didn't really do much, kind of left with kind of a bitter taste in his mouth. Did lose three starters, Van Wells and Gerard Lichtenhan along the offensive line and linebacker Marvin Ham. Probably would have liked to have kept a couple of those guys. I don't know, but otherwise, yeah, not a lot of movement yet. But there is going to have to be movement if you're going to bring in, you know, a dozen, 15 transfers. You're going to have to have another dozen or 15 players leaving. And with the COVID year and redshirt years and things like that, there is some flexibility. But since there's no coaching staff change, you don't, again, you're mentioning, you know, that at least for now, there's not a second year transfer without sitting out penalty, but that might be challenged. That might become true free agency in the future. But at least for now, again, a lot of these players that transferred in can't transfer back out again the second time without some cause. And they don't, they're not going to want to transfer just to sit out a year. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. How that plays out, the only transfer coming in was Amari Ward, the offensive lineman, but he's kind of – he was going to be a buff this past year, but he didn't – had trouble with the academics getting in, so he's going to be in. Um, what do you think about the, the the small class? We're up to 10 members of the class of 2024. Are you more concerned that it's a small class, or are you more excited about the fact that it has one of the – highest position ranking averages in the country? Well, I think the average ranking is a much better metric than total points. And CU has always been in the 60s and 70s uh, in previous years uh, with the recruiting classes in terms of the average rating. Being high this year, I think that's another prime effect. And hopefully some of those kids work out and maybe along the offensive line, something I'd like to chat about for a moment is that we may be able to um, have a high school kid come in and possibly contribute significant snaps or perhaps even start at some point in the season. So I'm optimistic that they've, they've done well there and there may be more in the pipeline. Uh, just two footnotes about transfer. I think, but I, it's been a long time since I reviewed it, is that Coach Prime did not use all of his scholarships from last year, that he had a few under his belt, maybe a half a dozen or so. That should help. And just recently, I see that many states have filed an antitrust suit. Probably won't affect any of the current guys against the NCAA for the one-year sit-out rule. So it's going to be a problem this year, but maybe not in the future. The transfer portal so far, I think we're doing okay with the offensive line. We have maybe the two guys that one guy that was on campus from last year from Jackson State, the guy that you just mentioned, plus a JUCO guy, plus our five star. We're doing okay there. I think we're we're hitting the mark in terms of quality right there. Yeah, I still would have liked to have you know hung on to Van Wells and and looked at him. Kind of the same thing. We have you know lost Casey Roddick last year, and he went on to be a starter. I mean. 
had some of those players that left in the transfer portal last year, even if it wasn't necessarily all Pac-12 starters, at least you'd have had more depth. And, you know, bodies that you're talking about, there's, you know, junior college offensive linemen coming in. Is Saya Walker, who is not only one of the top offensive line junior college recruits, but one of the top junior college recruits, period, in terms of rankings, is set to sign on December 20th. Fortunately for us, Jordan Seaton just came on board, the five-star offensive lineman recruit that had Power 5 conference offers pretty much from every Power 5 conference schools. I mean, this guy was taking visits to Alabama and Florida and Tennessee and Oregon, Michigan, Ohio State. This guy traveled all over the country and decided to come to play at CU. And I think I saw in the 24-7 rankings ratings after two CU failed five-star running backs that we will (laughs) not delve into that Marcus Houston and Daryl Scott He's the highest rated CU high school recruit ever. So a lot will be expected. Jordan Seaton, I don't know. It's hard to get a freshman to start. You want them to develop. You want them to redshirt their first year. But once in a while, you come across a Nate Solder kind of a freak show that can start as a, as a true freshman. So, And don't sleep on Tyler Brown, uh, which you kind of alluded to. That was also the a Jackson State transfer that didn't get the permission from the NCAA to come in as a hardship case. He's been practicing with the team. So you take Walker as a junior college transfer, Seton as the true freshman phenom, and Tyler Brown, and then you mix in with the starters that are returning. No, I don't think that's an offensive line that everybody's excited about, but maybe it's an offensive line that we're starting to piece together. If there are a couple more pieces that come together, a couple more transfers that come in that can start right away, maybe the offensive line will not be the black hole that it was in 2023. Stu, maybe Zelinkas, you know, who started for Van Wells. Right. uh, As a true freshman. As a true freshman, did pretty well. He looks like he needs a winter and summer to pump the plates. But he was he also came in and played wing back during Max pass protection situations under Shermer. Did well, both pass blocking and run blocking. I think the kid has potential. So we may have at least we have depth there. He may blossom into a starter. So that I'm optimistic that they're actually going after and achieving some new bodies along that offensive line that are going to be quality players. Yeah, fingers crossed. And obviously, well, I mean, you, you pretty much every interview that Coach Prime has given since the season ended, he's talked about getting offensive linemen in there. So it's not like there's blinders on in the champion center. They know as well, if not better than we do, the, the deficiency there was on the offensive line this year. And the defensive line, they're going to have to go out and get some dogs, as Coach Prime likes to refer to them as. He does have already four defensive linemen out of the 10 recruits for the 2024 season. Four of them are defensive linemen. So, again, you don't expect defensive linemen to come in necessarily and be stars as freshmen. 
but there's at least a recognition there that there's a need along the the front seven um, of the defense. So are you more interested in getting quality freshmen that maybe potentially could play, or are you uh, more of a quick fix thinking that Coach Fry might not be here forever and we want to get uh, as many senior graduate student four-year starters from a grad you know, group of five school to come in and plug and play right away? Well, uh, yes, to both, actually. I can't, I can't say or, sorry, at this point. Mm -hmm. We de uh, definitely need quick fix. We need some JUCO guys, some transfers, um, grad transfers, but we also need guys to come in to redshirt, as you mentioned, develop, come along, provide some depth if necessary as freshmen, uh, hopefully without sacrifice, going above the four game limit. We need both. Uh, we can't just rely long-term on getting guys out of the transfer portal for any line position. If I, I would invite our, our colleagues and friends on see you at the game to go look at some of the transfer portal listings for linemen. And there isn't a lot of quality there necessarily that jumps right out. And those that are on there already have their dance card punched to go to a power five school. So it's gonna be hard to do that. We need to have a dual track system there for lines. And it's gonna take some time to establish that. So in the meantime, we have to be in the mode of just plugging in people that we can. Okay. Well, finally, I mean, Coach Prime is back to being Coach Prime, the sports person of the year for Sports Illustrated. The second season of the Coach Prime Netflix series is getting started. So the, you know, he's on Good Morning America. He's making all the rounds. He was on Thursday Night Football a couple of weekends ago. There's some criticism that he should be doing more in-home visits and less primetime national interviews, or is having Coach Prime being the sports person of the year and Coach Prime being having his own reality series on Netflix and having all those interviews, I mean, is that just the way he does things and it's different and we just have to accept that his style is different than, you know, Nick Saban traveling and sitting in somebody's living room? Well, I think this is Coach Prime changing the paradigm of college coaching generally, recruiting specifically. And his appearances on national media, uh, halftime at NFL games, on uh, morning shows, all of those things are in effect an in-home visit because it gets to show so many recruits at one time his personality, whereas most other coaches are restricted to one home visit or two, whatever the number is, he's able to expose his personality and his program to many recruits at the same time. So to try to answer that question very in, in a very concise way is you mentioned earlier, our five-star offensive line recruit, all the coaches that have eaten his mother's cooking. What do you think was the difference between all the resources at Alabama, Ohio State, and all those other places? I'm going to posit a true-false. It's Coach Prime and his personality and his means of doing business, true or false. Yeah, I don't think there's any any question about it. 
that he's coming to play. He's on the Rich uh, Jordan Seaton was on the Rich Eisen show wearing Coach Prime sunglasses. The influence of Coach Prime is hard to hard to ignore. He's a presence that's bigger than life, and it's it's worked well for the University of Colorado for the last twelve months. Uh, I don't think there's any denying that. Yes, the the one glaring hole in the resume right now is wins and losses, but Otherwise, I mean, if this was a six and six team and we were talking about the transfers and talking about the coaching changes, nobody would give it a second thought. You know, it's just like he's a success and he's building, going from six wins, going to go to nine wins, going to go to 11 wins. And who cares if uh, an assistant coach leaves? Who cares if, uh, you know, a linebacker leaves or an offensive lineman leaves? He's got it figured out. He's just. You know, six and six is now the floor, not the ceiling kind of thing. But you lose to Arizona. You lose that ridiculous game to Stanford. And that gives people the opportunity to have some negative thoughts. So for now, I think Buff fans should just be rejoicing the fact that we have Coach Prime. And we're not talking about the second year of the Troy Taylor era or the Ryan Walters era or the Bronco Mendenhall era that there's still a huge upside for the University of Colorado under Coach Prime. So, Neil, we're going to talk again right after signing day. We're going to do an in-depth look at the class of 2024. Won't take maybe as long because it won't be as big as uh, classes have been in the past, but apparently with Coach Prime, it's always going to be quality over quantity. So I look forward to that, and I thank you for your time, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Stu. Thanks uh, to all our listeners. Thank you both for listening to the podcast and for being a member of the Buff Nation. I hope you're subscribing to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We are partners with Mile High Sports and are pleased to be part of their podcast network. As always, you can find the See What the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Or, if not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See What the Game website. I'll be back in two weeks, and we'll take a look at the recruiting class of 2024 and its impact on CU football 2024. Until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will again see you at the game.